This is Sean Smithgall and Taylor Stuber, your host of the PGT Podcast. This is the podcast where we explore different topics related to postgraduate training preparation for pharmacy students. Through our series, we hope to give a down-to-earth, enticing discussion on how to prepare for postgraduate training application. Today, we have with us Dr. Jessica Starr. Uh, Jessica is a associate faculty member at Auburn University Harrison School of Pharmacy. Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. I love talking about residency training. So Jessica, we, you have a wealth of experience. We, we want you to start by giving us a little background on your experience with residency programs and specifically your experience as a residency program director. Sure. I completed both a PGY-1 and a PGY-2 residency program after graduating from Auburn. And then I moved back to Alabama and have been practicing at Princeton Baptist Medical Center in Birmingham, Alabama. And there was not a pharmacy residency program at that community teaching hospital when I started. So around 2007, I submitted a proposal and application to start a PGY-1 program at Princeton Baptist with two positions, and we enrolled our first residents July of 2008. In 2011, I expanded that program to three residents, and then I stepped down from program director of that program in 2017, but then started a PGY-2 program in internal medicine just this summer, and we just enrolled our first PGY-2 July 2020. Oh, that's excellent. So you have experience both PGY-1 and PGY-2. We're going to get into our topic in a second, but, but first, we want to bring to you the daily postgraduate training trivia. So my question for Taylor and Jessica is, what does the M&M stand for on the little M&M candies? What does the M&M stand for? So my initial gut reaction is some one of the M stands for Mars. I know Mars candy is a lot of things, but I have no idea what the other M stands for. Hmm. How about, <laughs> I was going to say milk and something. <laughs> Mars, Mars and milk is our final answer. Mars and milk. It is, it is Mars, forced Mars and uh, Bruce Murray. So Murray's the other one. They're the uh, two co-founders of the chocolate candy. All right. Now back to serious stuff. So Jessica, today we're going to be talking about being a standout candidate and what candidates and applicants can do to help stand out in your eyes as a residency program director. So I guess just to get us started, what do you think is part of a standout toolkit and what does it mean for potential applicants to look good on paper? That's a great question. So I think, you know, it's getting really tricky because residency programs are seeing, you know, skyrocketing numbers of applications. So how do you sell yourself before you even have a chance to speak to a residency program director through the application process? I think some of the biggest things that you can do on paper are to highlight and explain some of the activities that could look routine. So whether it's taking the time to explain a little bit more about what you do in your clinical rotations, what you do in your pharmacy work experience, taking the time to explain, and I don't mean write a novel, but a few notes on what you're role was in some of the organizations that you belong to. I mean, certainly everybody can't be a president or a vice president or a committee chair, but you can still have meaningful and impactful involvement in organizations. So I think really just taking a moment to describe some of the detail of the work you do. That also extends to projects, um, whether it's research projects or more small scale things like writing a newsletter or contributing to maybe a monograph at a hospital. Again, like 
taking a few moments to describe your involvement in those activities can really help us sort of see what you've done better than just looking at a laundry list of, um, you know, one-time participations in health fairs or that sort of thing. So you think there's like a secret sauce, like one specific thing that all candidates should have? I personally do not at all. You know, a lot of candidates fixate on GPA, for example, and I have never found a good correlation to a candidate's GPA and ability to perform in the residency arena, whether it's an excellent GPA and a poor performer or a mediocre GPA and an excellent performer. I think that strength of rotation schedule in the APP year can really help determine success, but we fully recognize that, you know, sometimes that's out of a student's control. But I think obviously the more rotations that you have as a student that are going to help prepare you to do the activities that you're going to be asked to do in residency, I think that looks really good. And I also think being involved in lots of activities like monographs, MUEs, research projects, and I don't even mean that it has to be, you know, this great original research that you present at a national meeting. I mean, that's great, but just the more you can be involved in those, like, day-to-day activities that you think about doing while being a PGY1 resident from a project and presentation standpoint is only going to help you further when you get to residency. And do you have advice for students who are wanting to be part of those sort of projects, MUEs and things like that? So, You know, I think it's probably varies school to school on how things are set up. Certainly at the university that I work for with Auburn University, our students are assigned to regions. So reaching out to the faculty in the regions that you're assigned to um, rotate in. If you're at an institution where you are more centrally located than just reaching out to the preceptors and faculty, you know, several weeks before you start a rotation and ask to see if there's those type of opportunities available getting involved with one or two faculty mentors to do more longitudinal research, I think is great. But again, I don't want to give the impression that you have to do something huge and large scale. I think to me, just looking at like what actually you were doing. So you were able to be involved in true, like the IRB application process, for example, or you were actually able to be involved in data collection and data analysis and not just maybe kind of working on the outside of a project. Things at institution settings where you can get involved with like a monograph or a formulary type recommendation, again, might be smaller scale, but again, just reaching out before you start your rotations, just letting your preceptor know that you're open to doing those extra things that might extend beyond the general rotation requirements. Great. Those are those are excellent points. And I, I think you've gone over a lot of good examples of how they can take some of the things that seem more day-to-day and stuff that they're doing anyways, but kind of take it to the next level and and helping them stand out. So are there anything else that you would suggest for, for a candidate to get their foot in the door during maybe the application process or things that they can do to, to make sure that they are securing on-site interviews at programs? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. So starting like really big, what I've learned through preceptor conferences and just, you know, networking with other residency program directors is that everybody has a little bit of a different approach in how they screen applicants. And so I personally am someone who really likes to have a CV, you know, printed in front of me and I go through it you know, pretty thoroughly. So that's why I was saying in the beginning, like, I really feel like taking the time to have a really good CV, because that's what I'm going to look at. But then I have 
heard from some residency program directors that they just don't have time to thoroughly analyze everyone's CV. So they're using a lot of the filters that you can set in forecast. Forecast, if you don't already know this, allows you to enter a lot of the same information that you would also have on your CV. So I think it's really important that candidates take the time to do both because you don't really know where you're applying, what they're going to be looking at or not looking at. I don't think it's harmful to reach out to programs and let them know that you're interested and tell them that you're coming to mid-year and whatever format that looks like this year. The worst that's going to happen is you're going to apply to a really busy program and they're you know, going to dismiss the email for lack of a better way. I mean, I'm sure they'll send you a generic thank you, but it won't mean anything, but you might find the program and that meant something to someone who you can touch base with and interact with more before the mid-year meeting or after the mid-year meeting as you're applying. Um, I don't think I mean, I wouldn't encourage you to send, you know, like five or six emails, but I don't think reaching out saying, hey, I really enjoyed talking with you or I'm looking forward to talking to you hurts by any means. A follow up. Thank you. After a really great showcase email, I think goes a long way also. But again, I, I think you'll find that different program directors just sort of have different things they're looking for in that aspect. So I would I would tend to make sure you're detailed with your CV, detailed in forecasts. And I probably would personally reach out also. I think those are all great suggestions and great parts of the application process that might students might not know about exactly or how to how to handle those things. So I think, you know, hearing some reassurance from you is, is going to be good for students. What about best fit? So when we talk about best fit for a program, best fit for a candidate to a program. So what what's your opinion on finding the best fit, preparing for that best fit and and trying to make that work? I think the biggest thing that you have to remember in this whole process is it may be that you're an excellent candidate, but not the best fit for a certain program. And that can go both ways. So, and a lot of people will talk about that feeling that you get when you go on site to interview, or even the feeling that you may get if you have a chance to really have a good one-on-one conversation with some folks, you know, during the showcases or through a PPS booth. I think different programs ultimately look for different things and different programs have different focuses and ultimately what they want their residents to to be when the program's over. So you need to make sure that you're compatible with that. And, and again, that may not be because you're not a great candidate, but because maybe what your interests and your focus are just aren't exactly what that program is going to be offering. So I know for us, we have a very, you know, strong vision of what we want our residents to look like when the program is over, where my program is a very as the PGY1 program was a very heavily, you know, inpatient operations. We don't really offer much in the ambulatory care setting. We don't offer any pediatrics. Um, so when we have candidates coming to us, they could be rock stars, but if their interests, you know, lie a lot in the outpatient and primary care setting, then we're not going to be a good fit for you because we're not going to have opportunities that provide you those primary care opportunities. We really practice at a high level at Princeton. We, our pharmacists are on the front lines. We're out on the floors and in the ICUs, you know, direct face-to-face communication with physicians. So we're not looking for candidates that sort of want to be in more of a, you know, decentralized type role where maybe most of your recommendations are happening on the telephone or via order verification, you know, process. It's more like truly out there on the front lines with the physicians. So we're going to ask you a lot of questions to gauge, you know, your comfort level and doing a lot of the activities that we are going to expect you to be able to do at our institution. So it could be that you're a great candidate, but maybe just our program's not going to meet your needs and you're not going to meet our needs. Yeah. And I think that's a crushing statement for a lot of students. They, they 
feel like they're like top of the line and then they apply to some of these programs that may not be a best fit and then they don't get it and then they you know retrospectively look back and i got i'll say from experience i was one of those candidates who i wouldn't fit in your program because i was like i want to do amcare that's my career and i applied to some pgy1 programs and i had this whole why didn't i get interviews kind of sensation i was like oh you know what it's because they really didn't like that they're like, what are you doing as a PGY1 internal medicine wanting a career in, you know, AM care kind of mm-hmm. thing? So I think that resonates. So what last minute advice, anything, last minute advice or anything that you want to talk about? I think one thing I didn't talk about was work experience. I think, you know, that's something that you can change if you're early on in your pharmacy career, you know, pharmacy school career, maybe not if you're already a P4, but I do think having work experience can go a long way sometimes. Sometimes we get applicants who have never stepped foot in a pharmacy besides rotations. Certainly not everybody, you know, again, I'm coming from the institutional hospital setting. Certainly not everybody can get hospital work experience, but I do think those candidates come in with a little bit of an edge just because, again, they've been in a healthcare institution before and have sort of worked. It's certainly not essential, but we're talking about what can make you a standout candidate. I think having work experience, um, whether it's community or in the institution setting, can be beneficial. Um, And I, I only briefly mentioned it, but I usually put more emphasis on this, but I do think letters of recommendation are very important. So really spending time thinking about who you're gonna ask to write your letters of recommendation for you, trying to really get people who are going to be able to comment on your abilities and your skills. I think sometimes students, you know, get the dean or an associate dean to write a letter, and those usually come through as very short-looking form letters without a whole lot of personal communication. So I think, for me, the preceptors that you're working with in the fourth year can write the best to detail your abilities and in the practice arena. And so those are who I would focus on building relationships with to get good letters for your application. So now I have to ask, so did you work during, you personally, did you work during pharmacy school? I worked at, we had Rite Aid Pharmacy Retail, not a lot, um, mainly (laughs) over the summers, but I did stay on the payroll, but Rite Aid was very nice and allowed me just to work very, very infrequently to stay on the payroll. And so would you, Taylor, did you have a, did you work during pharmacy school? I did. And I worked actually in both a healthcare pharmacy or a healthcare institution pharmacy inpatient and then also in, as a, in the outpatient setting as well. And how do you all feel that your personal experiences prepared you for postgraduate training? So for me, I think I don't, I'm stumbling on my words because I feel like I have a strong work ethic. So it doesn't necessarily maybe make or break like how well I performed as far as the skill set. But I think I've seen some candidates and former residents that have never ha- held a job before. And that sort of showed a little bit in the residency job, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying that. Yeah, I think it, it can help build a sense of maturity and responsibility. And then also a lot of these candidates that I see that have had work experience, you know, they're, they're juggling pharmacy school on, and, and other projects and involvement on top of holding a job. So it's just the, that ability to juggle multiple tasks that I think is appealing and, and can kind of show a sense of responsibility and maturity. Not that it's the only thing, but it could just help highlight that a little bit. That was stated much more eloquently than what I said, because that's what I was trying to say. I worked at Kroger Pharmacy four years as a technician. I was never an intern. That's because my roommate was the intern and they never 
they only allow one intern per <laughs> per region. <laughs> so I was a little mad. He made $5 more per hour than I did. Um, and I let him know that all the time. Uh, but yeah, I, I wouldn't trade that for the world, that experience. Um, I, I think that's made me more successful. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jessica, for sharing all that wisdom with us. And that's all the time that we have today. Thank you for having me. Thank you to everyone for tuning in to this episode of the PGT Podcast.